We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Talking through our recent BBM4 draft. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. My newsletter, bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. Find all of his great work over at Rotoviz. We recently did a, a, a Best Ball 4 draft live. Came together really nice. Had a lot of fun talking about it afterwards. So we split out that discussion into a second pod because we went for almost two hours total. It's a fun team. We took Bijan Robinson in the first, Chris Olave, Brees Hall, Jerry Judy, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. Deontay Johnson, Mike Evans, Elijah Moore, Javante Williams, Pat Fryermuth was our first tight end. Greg Dulcich right behind him. Kendra Miller, Russell Wilson to stack up that Denver offense. Tyquan Thornton to finish up our wide receiver build. Kenny Pickett to, to complete our stack on the Pittsburgh offense. Then we went Mike Kosicki, Ty Chandler, and Pierre Strong to close it out. Very fun team. One we talk, got to talking about and talked through a lot of the profiles on. And so we're going to jump into that conversation on the episode today. The pick right before us was Travion Williams. If he had been there, it would have been a tough discussion and a tough pick because you're talking about round 18 and the very possible starter for maybe the best running back situation in the entire NFL. But the reason Travion's going there, obviously he's been in the NFL for a while, hasn't really done anything. If we do get a mix and cut or a mix and suspension, then I mean they probably add somebody like a Leonard Fournette just to like go out there and do the things that Joe Mixon could do. So you probably lose that, but that was a really interesting, you know, Seanism where you threw in a really hot take and just kind of kept going like it wasn't a hot take. But you just argued that Travion Williams might be the starter for the Bengals. There has been some talk that Joe Mixon might still get cut and he's going to get asked to get restructured um and, and take a, a pay reduction and part of the reason that's waited until now but will still happen before week one is they want to get joe burrow's extension done this offseason so there is stuff that still needs to happen with the Bengals offseason from a bookkeeping standpoint and that might lead to joe mixon actually still being released at this point at the same time there's a lot of people that have been arguing joe mixon belongs in like the third round i talked about it on the last show when we talked about the dead zone that he's somebody who could continue to rise he's all we've already seen him rise considerably given that he's made it to the late part of june and hasn't been cut yet he was in like the eighth round earlier because of some of these risks. He's now sitting in like the fifth round. But Sean, the way that I looked at this when I went through the Bengals projection was that I made a note that there's a lot of ways this backfield could play out. I think the least likely is that it looks the same as it does right now. I don't think there's really any way, as I'm trying to project this right now with Mixon and Travion 
and Chase Brown and, and Chris Evans as the backups, that even if Mixon's still on the roster, I think there's a possibility they bring in a, a different backup. And this is the part of it that I wanted to, to bring it bring up as it relates to Travion is this element of how confident are you when they haven't really used him a lot in the last couple of years that they like him? Have you been hearing good things about that? Because my concern is they haven't really played him as much at all. And it just seems like they don't really like the player that much, haven't really given him the opportunities. Is it possible that they add one of these veterans? I'm trying to remember which beat writer it was, but I thought somebody discussed the possibility of them adding a veteran if they were to cut Mixon. Maybe I'm thinking of the Browns. There was some discussion of maybe the Browns bringing in someone behind Chubb. I don't know. Anyway, what uh, what are you thinking about that, Travion, potentially being the lead back comment? I think this is maybe the most fascinating backfield in football for the reasons that you mentioned and because it's just so valuable. And, I mean, Samaj P. Ryan looked so good in that situation last year to the point where – I mean, it's hard not to draft him now as a member of the Broncos, thinking that he can do Mark Ingram types of things in a Sean Payton offense. And part of that is based on how good P. Ryan probably is. And then part of it is based on what that situation is with the Bengals. One of the things I think happened last year is P. Ryan went out and was just so good that they didn't need to play a third guy in a lot of situations but also throughout the year, you got the impression that Travion moved by Chris Evans, who was someone they really kind of wanted to take it. I think that Travion is interesting because one of the things that you will see is that these guys who came into the NFL and nobody really liked, and you wouldn't have expected them to stick around, once they do stick around, and it's, I mean, there's so many differences in the comparison, but we think back to Alan Lazard and how we were really high on him as a prospect, he go, you know, falls out of the draft entirely, takes multiple years to kind of work his way back through. He ends up sticking in the NFL, and then not only does he stick, but little by little, he becomes a more relevant piece for the Packers, and now is expected to be a relevant piece for the Jets. With Travion, you have a player who really put up fantastic numbers in college, but for whatever reason, NFL teams did not think that that would translate to the NFL, and as a result, he goes late in the draft. The Bengals get to see him a lot, and they have never really gone to him, and yet he's stuck, whereas other guys have not. And I think that it's interesting because this combination of letting P. Ryan go, being down on Evans, and using a late draft pick. And so in a lot of ways, I think it's similar to what we have with the Vikings, where they're looking at Ty Chandler, but then they're also making that McBride pick. So they have two names that they can throw at it as backups, both of which are interesting if Madison stumbles or gets hurt. When you have Chase Brown being drafted where he was, and even though his prospect profile actually has a lot of great things about it, extremely athletic, well-rounded back, workhorse, when you're talking about a guy who did a lot of those things at, at a little more advanced age and you're dropping in the draft, you're not saying, okay, well, this is like a, a one-two pick in the draft. I mean, this isn't somebody they've selected to be a starter, but he gives them that contingent type of play he gives them not exactly a lottery ticket but another path and so when you have the two paths with Travion and Chase Brown I think they're actually high enough on both of those guys that they're not going to necessarily just add a body so that would be my thesis but the reason I mentioned someone like a Fournette for example is you have to understand where your thesis may be pretty fragile and we don't want to end up spending so much on those two players <laughs> that you've got just so many zeros once 
it goes in a different direction. But the nice thing about even Chase Brown, who is not expensive, but then especially Travion, is it's a last round pick. And the upside there, you think about, you know, how do you win a tournament and you get points from the 18th round that most people are not getting. I mean, Travion is the perfect example of how you would do that. That's a great, very well put. And, and when you compare it to the, the Viking situation and the McBride ad, I mean, Travion sort of the Madison in that scenario, with the big exception being he has 55 career touches through four seasons. But like you said, he's stuck there through four seasons. He's still on the roster. They obviously still see something in him and like him to some degree. Only and eight he's ahead of Chase though. Brown right now. I mean, just so that we yeah. have a good sense of what's happening. I'm not saying that's going to stay. I mean, I've been drafting Chase Brown in basically every single dynasty league. And then you get a bunch of trade offers. Even like if you draft him, in, it's, it's funny that there's a guy who generates so much interest in the third round. But as soon as you draft him, you have the trade offers flooding in. And I love Chase Brown, but Travion right now is ahead. And so we want to track that, but it is something that. Is yeah. And Brown's the one, you know, by comparison that went in the 16th round here, Travion, we very nearly had as an option in the 18th. He goes one pick before us. We do take Pierre Strong. Sean, let's go through the full roster. We wound up with just Russell Wilson. And Kenny Pickett at quarterback. Our running backs are Bijan Robinson, uh, Brees Hall. We got Javante Williams as a third potential late season big time upside play, but obviously in the ninth round, a little bit of a later pick. So we're still able to build out some receiver depth. Kendra Miller is our, our running back four. And then the last two rounds, we tacked on Ty Chandler and Pierre Strong, two favorites of yours over the last couple of off seasons. We haven't seen a ton out of either of them yet but both in really intriguing situations, the most intriguing situations they've been in going into 2023. This could be the year for both guys you've been on. And, and I know I have stashed on dynasty rosters at your recommendation for, you know, another late round pair of players that you um, probably have on all of your dynasty teams. You just mentioned that about Chris Brown, Chase Brown on the, at the wide receiver position, we have Chris Alave. We took JSN, we took Jerry Judy, in the fourth, JSN in the fifth, Deontay Johnson, Mike Evans, Elijah Moore, and Tyquan Thornton. And we did finish things off with just the seven receivers. And then a tight end, Pat Firemuth, Greg Dulcich, and added Mike Gesicki, a really nice three tight end build. I really like Gesicki late, Sean. He's a guy you've always liked and been high on. Very athletic, very talented the Patriots got a lot of good looks at him in their division, brought him in. All the t camp talk is that he is going to be playing outside this season. He basically has never really been an inline tight end. He's not somebody to think about as, uh, you know, competition with Hunter Henry. They basically play different positions. I think this is another thing that fantasy managers still in 2023 struggle with. When you see two guys with tight end next to their name in the same offense, you think about, oh, are there enough tight end targets and this and that. It's not how the football game is played. They don't put a big tight end on their back and say this is a tight end. If he's lining up at receiver, and he is, last season he was in the slot 51% of the time. He was out wide 22% of the time. He was in line 26. And that was the most he had been in line in four years. It was in a new offense. And then that, you know, Mike McDaniel didn't really have a lot of use for him and got rid of him. Mike McDaniel doesn't seem to have a lot of use for tight ends at all. That was after three years of his inline percentage being sub 20%. In 2021, it was 7.4%. He lined up outside or in the slot over 90% of the time. So you're talking about a guy that just flat out is not playing tight end. It seems like that's how New England sees him. You can get him incredibly late. We talked a little bit about Pat Fryermuth. 
uh, as we went through there. I really like his profile, his targets per out run rose in year two, his yards per target rose in year two. The only thing that didn't rise in year two was his touchdown rate. It cratered. But over a two-year sample, and we know touchdown rate can fluctuate, over a two-year sample, he has nine TDs. He had seven as a rookie. And so his touchdown rate over two years still looks fine. He looks like a, an ascending young tight end talent, really like his price in the 10th round as one of the last sort of – I think he has upside to be a top five overall tight end, top three overall tight end. Last real, like, legit upside tight end options. Dulcich, I'm not quite as high on it as, as it sounds like you are, but we took him – around later and he's another one in that same mold where you're talking about some real upside and to get Kasiki late I mean that's a that's a tight end room that we're gonna get a lot of routes and a lot of targets out of and I like to build the rooms like that where we have multiple paths in the postseason and that we're likely to get tight end points if you leave yourself short to where an injury or just being too enthusiastic about a player I'm not necessarily interested in like picking out certain guys and saying i mean this guy's gonna bust this guy's gonna bust this guy's gonna bust but we know that tight end scoring can be difficult to come by you give yourself the additional path there are multiple ways both from a regular season perspective and a postseason perspective where that can be helpful you want the elite tight ends if you can get them at a good price and you think the offense is set up really nicely but i mean the one situation we really have like that is travis kelsey and he goes in the first round so that was one of our first decisions that we had to kind of work through it's fun to think that since we did pass, at least we have some fun names in that later range. And again, the cost in underdog to put that together where you have the half PPR as opposed to other formats where you have the tight end premium, you can really work that. And you made a great explanation of why Gasicki is someone we should be looking at, but it also works for Hunter Henry who goes the fourth to last pick. He should be going earlier as well i mean i can't really say oh we should be going in the 12th round when we passed on him all the way through including passed on him in the 16th round but i actually don't think there's a huge difference between the profile that he's going to bring and what people are actually drafting in round 13 you follow the patriots and this new offense with bill o'brien and what mac jones is doing and which guys are standing out and it's taekwon thornton mike gasicki and hunter henry right so if those if those are the guys the offense is going to pass through now we may get more juju if he is healthy, you could always get a DeAndre Hopkins. If those things happen, you're going to be dealing with fewer targets. But I like the way this is set up. And then, Ben, you had mentioned Pierre Strong. He's someone where if you told me that he basically gave you a zero, that wouldn't surprise me. And yet, again, the guys who are standing out for the Patriots, we know that this team is going to run through Ramondre Stevenson. I think that he's undervalued. I think he's a very clear second-round pick and someone who, if we're talking about the full profile that you need, Stevenson is someone who just one of really three or four backs who can give that to you. I think he should be going earlier. But if something were to happen to him, or we know that the Patriots in a perfect world don't want their starter to have so much on his plate that he starts to perform worse or that he has increased injury risk, Pierre Strong is better than people realize. He's extremely athletic. The thing that has been interesting when you track again how they're practicing right now and you want to be somewhat conservative in terms of conclusions you draw from it but pierre strong is catching passes for them in their offense if he does that and he didn't play a lot as a rookie but when he did play man he looked like he was shot out of a cannon if he does that then he's going to have some standalone value the contingent value is extreme again i mean we hope that stevenson stays healthy but when you're working through what could happen 
my only concern there is that your guy is also generating a little bit of buzz again, Ben. But my understanding is he's actually playing with the backups. So hopefully we're not going to lose Pierre Strong to a 2023 Ty Montgomery. Um, I, don't, I don't think I'm super into the Ty Montgomery thing this time around. I wasn't really that into it last time, but no one else paid attention. This time people seem to actually be like wanting to draft him a little bit. I mean, not a ton. He's actually still listed as a receiver on on underdog. Sean, as you were talking through this New England offense, it's been really intriguing to me. I mean, the Pierre Strong thing is a great point. He's an example for me where I agree with that take a ton, and yet I've only uh, taken 8% of him. And I know that because I pulled up my underdog exposures. I, I entered my first slow drafts a couple of weeks ago, and I finished 25 of the 35 that I that I jumped into. The reason I pulled up these exposures right now is as you were talking through the late tight ends, they're examples of players that I can sit here on the stream and say I completely agree with those takes. And I also wanted to pull up and see how much I've actually been drafting them because I feel like I take them in every single draft. Kasiki is my most drafted tight end. And Hunter Henry's tied for my third most drafted. Kyle Pitts is the only one in between there. And I have uh, Hawkinson tied with Henry there. And I Fryermuth is my fifth highest. I, I do really like Fryermuth as well. My point being, those are players that I'm actually taking. You mentioned Ramondre. He's my third highest running back. Brees Hall and Jalen Warren I have tied at the top at 36% of both of them. I'm taking a lot of Hall, as I mentioned. And then at receiver, I have Tyquan Thornton as my third highest drafted receiver so far. Chris Godwin, my highest drafted guy. He's the guy that we talked a little bit about earlier. So naturally, I've taken a lot of Mac Jones as well. He's tied for my second highest QB exposures. My QB exposures are a little bit lower. But I have taken a lot of those late round New England players. And I agree with you on the Ramondre thing. So anyway, as you were talking through that, I thought that was funny. I haven't really looked at my exposures a lot. Certainly haven't talked about it on pods. But the guys that I'm actually clicking late at tight end, I mean, I feel like every draft that's Gasicki or Henry to build out my tight end builds, those are just such easy picks late. And you think about those guys compared to players who have don't have the athleticism, are in offenses that are going to be weak on top of maybe not having the actual tight end volume there for them. One of the things that we are trying to do here, and people are going to disagree with you on who uh a good player versus a bad player is that's one of the best things about fantasy football is having those debates but we do want to take a zero bad players build and to get those patriots guys late i mean hunter henry coming off a really down kind of portion here with the patriots and yet he's still one of these players where the pedigree up through what he did as a near breakout, a near breakout, a near breakout, someone who can definitely get in the end zone. I don't know. In the last round, what you're getting in 2023 at tight it's end. It's discounted, that compelling. pedigree. Yeah, that, that pedigree is significantly discounted. There was a point when he was like a fifth-round pick, and there's no real reason. Like Unlike an O.J. Howard, where obviously we're not taking him in the fifth round anymore, there's no real reason that Hunter Henry has fallen that far. It's not like he's a significantly different player. He's definitely been in different offenses. There have been different circumstances throughout his career. He's had some near breakouts, like you said. But if you go look at him at like a, on a per-route basis, it's not like he's a horrible player now. He's had some you know, some, some down seasons at times later in his career. Last year's targets per-route run were down quite a bit. Yards per-route run down to a career low. Not a good year. Also not a good offense. Nobody really performed in that offense last year. You look back as recently as 2021, he was an effective tight end. 
in this in New England on this team, and he's still, you know, presumably a big part of their plan. So, yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. Sean, this team, we were talking at the top about being uh, really excited about drafting together. I don't think I could be as I didn't expect to be this excited. Rarely do drafts actually go as well as you're kind of hoping. But honestly, this is one of my favorite teams I've drafted. I love each of the separate rooms. We talked through the tight ends. Quarterbacks will be where the team's made or break broken if russell wilson gets benched as i you know decided to talk all the way through right before we drafted him we're not going to be really happy with our russell wilson kenny pickett duo but running back to have Brees, Bijan, and javante williams i mean that's like if javante doesn't have the serious injury and Brees doesn't have the injury that's like that's you're, you're talking about like the probably the dynasty running backs one two three like these are the young we like to get into young talented running backs in our drafts we have three of them and also some really interesting ones, Layden, Pierre Strong, and Ty Chandler. Uh, and then receiver, we talked about that blend and, and that that uh, that build and how it all meshes. I really, really like this team. If you want to talk about you know potential negatives, we can talk about how some of our stacks don't really have bringbacks. We missed Mac Jones late. We have three Patriots, and we don't have any Buffalo Bill or Mac Jones. So we're just kind of making a bet on the New England's offense. We do have that Week 16 game with Denver, as you mentioned really built out and i love that denver we have a big stack we don't have the chargers bring back we do have the pittsburgh double stack of deontay and Fryermuth with Pickett, and a bring back of jackson smith and jigba on that one but we don't have a ton of the of the bring backs on our stacks we have these like multiple player bets on some offenses but no huge bring backs that's maybe the one minor thing that this build is missing and yet like it's a it's a totally fine trade-off when you have number one, you do have the stacking you've checked, but number two, you have the player selections that you want. You have the build throughout. You this team has plenty of upside. We got good ADP value, which is something you were highlighting throughout. You want to not be reaching, you want to be building, you know, somewhat unique combos and not paying up for every single player you take. That has been shown to not be very successful. So this is a team that I'm very, very excited about. Um, I mean, we we have some Interesting little game stacks as well as you're scrolling through. I'm reminded of the discount we got on Evans and we got Kendra Miller along with our Alave bet. So we have this nice little New Orleans Tampa Bay thing that we talked about. We have some fun stuff built into this roster. I mean, it's one of my favorites so far. Yeah, and I think especially when you consider that we were able to get the other side of that Olave game for week 17, it's going to be difficult to have a draft fit so nicely for you that you can make all of the different elements work it would have been great to get quentin johnston falling back through round seven that was the other part of it that we looked at when we were trying to decide between him and mike evans but i think to complement the jsn reach and to build out the overall target volume the red zone upside it's just such a perfect play i wanted to ask you you were talking about having Godwin as one of your highest exposures. He's one of mine as well. How much do you think that we're giving up by having Evans instead of Godwin? How far apart are you going to have them in your projections? I do have them pretty substantially gapped. I, I argued last offseason, you know, astute listeners will remember that you know Godwin was coming off an ACL, but if he wasn't coming off the ACL, that the 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 of passing of the torch had happened the year prior prior to godwin's acl and then he looked a lot better than evans and if he wasn't coming off an acl that godwin should have been going substantially higher than evans 
going into last year. Now, obviously, that wasn't the real reality, but the point was, hey, when Godwin gets healthy in season, he could close the season really well. I remember talking about that very specific prediction that, you know, the second half of the year, I expect Godwin to do much better than Evans. If you look at their sort of per route stuff, I mean, Godwin had a weird role last year. The the ACL, I remember he talked after the game in London, uh, excuse me, in Germany against, I believe, the Seahawks about how that was sort of the first time he felt 100% again. I want to say that was like week nine or week 10. And prior to that, his ADOT was incredibly low. He was sort of just used as like a screen passer. So his target spot run took a, a bump. His ADOT was a career low, but he's also shown us an ability to win as a downfield player, especially early in his career when he was more rotational and kind of playing alongside Deshaun Jackson and the wide receiver, you know, three roll with the Bucs. He was like a, a high ADOT guy, 13 ADOT guy. Then he was in the 10 range for a couple of years. Then these last two years, he's been a lot lower playing with Brady as kind of his underneath option. He's been successful in every single role is the point. He can win at all depths and the targets brought run has fluctuated with the depth. And so it's more like if you look at his weighted targets per run, been very strong almost every year of his career. Same is true for Evans, but that number has come down a little bit for Evans these last couple of years. It did bounce back a little in 2022. So my argument going into 2022 was that, that, that passing the torch had already happened in 2021. 2022, Evans has a decent year kind of bouncing back. And we know that some of the aging re- receivers – when they're as good as a Mike Evans, who set the all-time record for thousand-yard seasons to begin a career, that's still going as he's you know entering the twilight of his career. When they're that good, they can perform into their thirties. There's there's you know age cliffs that we have to be worried about, but some of these guys can continue to perform and continue to perform. He bounces back in a way that makes me more optimistic about him, as he is you know just entering his early thirties. And he came into the league very young, Sean. I'm looking it up right now, but he's not. Yeah, he turned 30 actually August 21st, right before the season starts. So he'll play this year at 30, not at 32 or 34, at 30. I, I mean, I still think he very much has the talent. There's some concern, I think, for me, maybe the, maybe the biggest thing is the overlap with Baker Mayfield's skill set. We talked about this with the OBJ stuff, I remember, Sean, on the, on the show, but how that deep intermediate range is an area that Baker really struggles in. He's more of a deep thrower or an underneath guy. I think, you know, Evans is more of that intermediate range. He can also be a deep threat, but that might be a, a tough overlap with Baker's skill set. At the same time, in terms of, you know, how much am I going to give up on the projections? How much of a gap is there going to be? I, I don't think it's going to be that massive. And I have taken a lot of Evans as well. You mentioned that I mentioned that Godwin was my highest drafted uh, wide receiver. I do have Evans... 19%, you know, he's on my first page as well. I've taken a good amount of him. I think he's a value. And especially when he falls, I, I take him after ADP most of the time. We just got him way after ADP in this one, especially when you get that kind of a price. You got the high dot. You got the proven touchdown potential. You got the big body vertical threat in a best ball setting. You, I think you just have to really like that. I just pulled up my projections. I have done Tampa. I have Godwin projected for about 30 more points. I mean, a point and a half to two points per game more. I think it's like 27 points actually. So yeah, a point and a half to two points per game more. I definitely have gotten projected for more on my base projections, but I have Evan still as, you know, another thousand yards. He's a thousand and nine yards is my projection for him. Like I don't have him as a massive hit or anything, but I do think he's going to be a, another solid again, because the high ADOT, because the TD rate, because the, the numbers bounced back a little bit last year, the peripherals, he does look like he's going to continue to just chug along and have another solid season. I mean, this is a guy who last year was going at the end of round two 
in less wide receiver heavy ADP. It, it really, I think, emphasizes kind of the good fortune that we had when you look at him in our draft in the middle of round seven there. And then the next four wide receivers drafted are Brandon Cooks, Quinton Johnston, Rashad Bateman, and Michael Thomas. Now, Brandon Cooks, if everything goes perfectly with the Cowboys, I mean, maybe those guys are actually somewhat equivalent players. But I would say that that next foursome, even though there are things to like, I mean, it's, it's almost more than a full tier down from yeah. what you would reasonably expect to be getting from Mike Evans. The Deontay Johnson. You said that so well, as you always do, but last year he was going in the second round and it's a better profile now. He actually looked better. I mean, I, I, I spent a lot of time just saying that, but you distilled it and you always do so well at that. But well, and I don't want to pick on like the supposed and, you know, arguably evidence based greatest quarterback of all time, but he was hurting Evans more than he hurts the underneath guys. And so, I, I mean, Evans was boosted because of the two big touchdown seasons with Brady. And it made sense to think that some of that could continue. But even if he doesn't have that touchdown upside now with whoever the Bucks decide to throw out there, I don't think that you're actually getting hurt that much from a yardage profile. I think unless people those would argue... collapse, which, yeah. I mean, you could get really, really bad quarterback play. And people are trying to avoid that scenario. And I think that makes some sense. But, I mean price starts to matter in a, in a pretty big way when we're pricing across the different possible scenarios. Yeah. You make a great point about the Brady thing. Obviously that's you know something I've left off and I'm comparing the massive gap in ADP. People would argue that the, the pass attempt upside obviously was another big reason he was going so high. And the, we talk about how projections influence ADP and certainly the bucks projected for a lot of pass volume last year. And then were historic in terms of delivering on that. They, they threw a ton and ton and ton of passes. But it's just like, I mean, are they really going to be below average in pass volume with an immobile quarterback and they're going to lose? Like, they're not good. Are they? I, why, I don't understand why people think the Bucks are going to be like bottom five in pass volume. I don't think they're going to be historically high, but if they're league average, you're still getting a good price on Evans in the middle of the seventh round. I mean, that's great. Well, one of the things that you do here coming out of Tampa 2 is that, I mean, everybody feels like they're actually too good to tank. And... I mean, the Bucks actually have a lot of talent on that roster. And Tom Brady was hurting them badly last year with his play. Now, that's not fixed in any way, shape, or form. They're going to be bad at quarterback again. But, you know, when you look at the volume that Evans was actually able to pull out of that, both from an air yards perspective and from just flat out a target perspective, that's way down from early in his career. And you look at that and say, yeah, I mean, it's way down because now he's, 30s not 22 anymore and so you probably are going to continue to see him go down that path but it's not necessarily guaranteed and if the targets are very concentrated on evans and godwin which is what they should be if the buccaneers are trying to win then i mean both of those guys i don't know there's upside at their prices basically our contention but i want to ask you about deontay johnson too he's an interesting name similar concerns and then plus he played just personally very poorly last year in addition to being hurt by the two-headed monster that was the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterbacks. But I thought it was interesting. I was looking at a piece that Blair Andrews has in progress and it looks at wide receiver ADP and the predictiveness of it recently and some of the reasons why it's, that's been a little bit down and quarterbacks or I should say, sorry, wide receivers who have dramatically outperformed ADP, which obviously when you're getting these gaps between where they were drafted and, and what they did, that's where you get that lack of prejudice. But it was interesting because there are 
several names that are on that list multiple times. And one of the names of guys who dramatically overperformed multiple times is Deontay Johnson, which is interesting because he's coming off of such a terrible year. But with the two years prior to that, making that overperform list, it's interesting to see him, especially again, a guy who commands so much target volume to see him down at these prices. Yeah, I just recently did my Pittsburgh projection as well. And I mean, it's just so funny to look at his his profile because this guy has 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 racked up 144, 169, and 147 targets the last three seasons. And yet he hasn't had a yards per target over seven in any of those years. After he earns the volume, he's just not good. <laughs> so I wrote, you know, in my notes, his horrible yards per target relative to any other high volume wide receiver over multiple years. I look at um, that efficiency multiple ways i also look at racer and i depth adjust for his for the players a dot because racer goes up and down relative to the depth of the actual the average depth of target uh but racer is the conversion ratio of of air yards to receiving yards of the of total air yards but you do so sort of need to adjust for the average depth of the target um having said that he's had a negative depth adjusted racer you know three years in a row pretty substantially negative the thing that I was arguing last year with him was he gets so much volume. He has, you know, upside here. If he just could get efficient, strong efficiency one year. And I remember saying multiple times to you, Sean, there's no way that the efficiency can even get, can, can really get worse. He can't even get to seven yards per target. It got worse. His yards per target last year of 6.0 was a career low. The previous career low was 6.4. He also scored zero touchdowns somehow. Like, I mean, it was just comical how inefficient he was on a per target basis both in terms of yardage and touchdowns and yet he earned another 147 targets you look at his you know targets per out run they continue to be very strong at his price he it's the same argument as last year he can't continue to be this bad forever he obviously earns a ton of volume i mean it's like if he's just league average efficiency, he's an absolute smash in the sixth round. You would think so. And the thing that people, I think, know, but it's hard to complete, to, to fully respect or have it completely sink in, is just how bad the QBs were before last year and what Ben Roethlisberger was doing down the stretch. And so you think even a bad rookie or a bad veteran rookie combo is going to be floor-wise pretty similar, and there's some upside if they were to hit quickly. Well, there, the floor outcome is more or less what you got. And then on top of that, Johnson continued to politic for targets, and then he went out there, and when they did throw to him, just played terrible football. And so in the past, that yard per target element that seemed on the QB almost exclusively exclusively and within the context of, of where he's actually getting the targets in 2023 or in 2022, I'm sorry. It seemed to be again, a combination, but much more on him. Now, when you're looking at 2023, the question is, does that actually create a breaking point where they de-emphasize him slightly in the offense, or do you just get the natural bounce back that you would expect to get from someone who is just open every play he gets open at will I think it makes an interesting dynamic. It's especially interesting when you consider it within the context of George Pickens, who is so difficult to evaluate in his own right because of the injuries that he had in college after a very encouraging rookie season. He has the highlights last year. He doesn't necessarily draw the target volume you would want. 
he's an interesting personality. He's already telling people that he's offended that he's not considered one of the top wide receivers in the entire NFL. He's probably got to do a little more on the field to justify that. But I mean, you could see this, this Steelers passing offense go anywhere from both of those guys breaking out and the whole thing being pretty electric to handing the ball to Najee Harris, who breaks five tackles in the backfield and still loses seven yards and then punting and trying to play defense. Well, and I, I mean, I have a lot of Pittsburgh takes, but they've they've played fast and they've thrown it at a high rate for a number of years now. And obviously some of that included Ben Roethlisberger, but they still did it last year. I think, you know, even if there's some the, – the fact that you get both of those elements is a positive for the volume. There could be some play volume regression. There could be some pass rate regression. But, you know, probably you're going to still get decent volume even if they both regress a little bit. But, like, one thing I would say is one could offset the other in a positive way for what we want to see, which is more volume. So if you if they do throw enough, you have those two guys. I talked favorably about Pat Fryermuth as well. And then the guy, the other guy that's going to run a lot of routes, Sean, is one of those sneaky benefits to a passing game where you have Allen Robinson lining up there and potentially running a lot of routes with them, but not actually doing anything, which doesn't draw volume away from the other players. Off. We used to talk about this a lot with AJ Green, where like it's actually kind of a minor bump to the other guys in the passing game when when he was still running routes late into his career at such a high rate you know maybe Allen robinson hits but that's obviously not something that we're betting on very heavily and if he doesn't but he plays a lot deontay johnson can still concentrate a lot of volume and george pickens can still see see more it is funny that he thinks that highly of himself when he had a 14.5 percent targets per run last year did not really earn volume 1.38 yards per out run, not great, was efficient after the target. And we know that from, from Blair's great work that efficiency leads to more volume in year two. And I think Pickens is a reasonable bet to take a step forward. I really like this passing game to be concentrated between Deontay, Pickens, and Fryermuth. I like all of their profiles independently for the things that they're good at and the you know reasons to be in on them. I'm fine with all of their prices. I think the offense as a whole should throw a decent amount. And then the other kind of big take I have on the Steelers is Najee Harris has a little bit of like 2022 CEH risk, in my opinion, where he's had a sub four yards per carry two years in a row. He started to lose work to Jalen Warren last year. If he comes out and is inefficient again this year, even if he's getting some like remember CEH last year after five or six weeks, we were talking about how he was adding nothing to the to the offense. And yet it felt crazy. And people in the in, in the fantasy community were like, well, CEH has scored six touchdowns so far. I mean, yeah, he had like six touchdowns early in the year and they we're arguing obviously he's you know still valuable because he's doing the things that we want in fantasy football and yet the chiefs eventually were like no this is not enough like just you're you're they saw it the way we saw it you're doing what the offense is giving you you're not adding anything to this and ultimately they stopped playing him i don't i don't think it will go that far with Najee Harris but Jalen Warren an efficient backup behind him last year did start to steal a little bit more and more work down the stretch if he if Najir comes out and is a sub four yards per carry player again this year, you're talking about maybe they'll hand off to him a bunch. I mean, I think he has to suddenly be efficient. There's not a lot of reasons to argue that he will be. If he's not efficient, I mean, I think there's concern that not only will they not run a lot, but they will go away from Najee in year three. Because how many years in a row can you do it? It's kind of like, you know, you have a four-year rookie contract. Year three is about the point where if you've done nothing, we give up on you. I mean, we the other guy that <laughs> Najee's been using the same sentence with is Trent Richardson. You go back to Trent Richardson's rookie year, he was actually fantasy viable. This is something we've talked about. Inefficient, but scored double-digit touchdowns, had 1,300 yards, and just pulled it up, 12 TDs. 
within a couple of years, he was you know, he got traded midseason the next year to Indy, who famously gave up a first round pick for him, even though he was inefficient and looked like a bust already. And then uh, wasn't very good in Indy in year three. And by the end of year three, it was like, okay, we're we're done with you. You're, you're out of the league. You only get so many opportunities is the point. And Najee has not done well over the last couple of years. He's in a precarious situation. Obviously, he could still play well and re-earn the, the heavy volume. He actually did a little bit late. If you go look at his game log, had a couple 20-carry games down the, the stretch. I think in the final week, they gave him a ton of volume. Earned some of that back from Jalen Warren. But he's in a little, I, I mean, I think more so than people want to admit and realize, he's in a situation where if he plays poor again, they're not going to just suffer through another 300-touch poor season, or at least I don't think so. Or at least I would say, there's risk that they don't, right, relative to his cost. And then the, the flip side of that would be the offense shifts and we're throwing more and we're playing Jalen Warren kind of like the Bengals did, as you alluded to earlier in the show, with Samaje Pirine and using him and in, in, in throwing more and being more aggressive with their offense at times. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how, how the Steelers play out, but they're a really fun offense that because of some of the ineffective players – like Allen Robinson and Najee Harris, I feel more confident being aggressive on the exciting profiles that, that they have. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Their identity for 2023 will be, I think, one of the most important elements of the entire season because you do have a team here that depending on how healthy their defensive stars are can be so dynamic defensively that if Kenny Pickett doesn't take a step forward you could get a sea change again you can get a very conservative style offense and so you do have a handful of pivotal players within that team to where the way they play is going to determine then the entire the entire style for the squad for a season, I think that that brings risk for some of these players that we're excited to draft, but also it's just really exciting. I think these teams that have a lot of different ways that they could, they could go is what makes fantasy football so much fun. 
Najee Harris, I mean, our comparison of him to Trent Richardson has been very accurate. I mean, one of the reasons why I don't like to come out with a lot of, you know, this guy's going to bust types of takes is that then when you're right, you know, you've kind of been right about someone's career not going the way that would have been great for them. And so, you, you know, you feel that kind of regret even when you end up being vaguely correct. I think he could bounce back. I mean, where he, we're looking at him right now, he's basically Josh Jacobs, but without the good price. And so, you know, for drafters, that's a huge problem because if you're right, I don't think that you're going to actually win that much because Jalen Warren is going to come in and get some of those touches. He's just too much more dynamic that if it's a very functional rushing offense, he's going to lose some of those touches there. And we love the way this team turned out. Is there anything now, you know, once we have a little bit of time and you don't have that 25 seconds when you're on the clock and trying to figure it out with another person, anything you would do differently? I don't think there were a lot of those outcomes in the draft. We had some, I think, pretty clear picks the way one, I mean, the, one of the biggest discussion points we had was in the first round, Bijan and Kelsey. And I was going to say to you at some point, you know, I was excited to, to potentially try a Kelsey Mahomes team. I haven't built that yet. I'm really glad we didn't in this room, the way that things fell, you know, I mean, it could have still been an interesting team with those Deontay and Evans values when you're not building the early receivers, but the way things fell in the late part with the late round quarterbacks and the late round tight ends that we were able to do. I mean, I just think it would have been, I mean, it would have been a fun team with Kelsey Mahomes and then going Brees, Judy, JSN, Deontay Evans. I mean, that would have been a really, a really interesting build as well. But I like the the way that we got Bijan and Alave to spark really good. I mean, I don't think our receivers would have been deep enough and our, our running backs would have been deep enough. Otherwise, obviously we would have done some things differently in, in various ranges. Into the middle rounds, I really liked the way that we played receiver and the guys that were available for us. And when we took JSN and, and Deontay, the Quentin Johnston, Mike Evans situation, the seventh that we discussed, um, Johnston as a bring back would have made a lot of sense. But my thought on that was mostly just like, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal if Evans wouldn't have fallen way behind ADP. But the fact that he did made me want him. I think he was 12 picks behind ADP or whatever it was. Johnston, we would have been taking a little bit ahead of ADP. It's a little unfortunate that we didn't get Johnston onto this build because of how Denver heavy it worked out towards the end. But that's just more of the thing where, like, the room gave us something that we took. And we're, I mean, I'm very comfortable with the Evans pick there. I want to take Evans in that scenario, especially when we already have Alave and we, you know, we're building out correlation with Evans as well. Uh, I thought Elijah Moore was a really good pick, especially as we talked through that. Uh, interesting, you know, there's Zay Flowers goes one pick after him, Sutton later in the round, Jamison Williams later in the round, Juju, a guy we're probably not very on later in the round. That's like where the wide receiver window closes. You know, right before him was the Bateman and Thomas picks that that you mentioned earlier. And so, yeah, you got to pick your your spots carefully in that range. Uh, oh, the 10th round was an interesting one where we took Fryermuth, but we were talking through Cook at a really big discount. And now that we wound up with a big New England build at the end, uh, I did think through that a little bit and think, man, Cook would have been interesting there as well. Obviously, Fryermuth plays into our picket. Deontay Fryer with JSN build, you know, it's one of those things where you'd like to get both of them again, just like the Evans and Quentin Johnson situation. We got good values on both or had good values on both. Fryer with, we got like eight picks after ADP. Cook was going something like, 
you know, 15 pecks after ADP at that point. And I know you really wanted to take him. We never circled back on that, but that was one that I definitely thought about more as we were finishing up and as we were getting more New England pieces. It would have been interesting to see how it would have looked with Cook on that build. But then Mac ended up going, Mac Jones ended up going a little before we would have been able to consider him. And so it's not like we would have ended up being able to build out a New England Buffalo stack, I don't think. So anyway, the way that the rest of it panned out, I mean, no, I don't think there's really anything else that I would have differently. The late picks were, you know, the targets, in, in my opinion. You do a lot of drafts where the value will get taken one spot ahead of you in part because it is a value and the drafter ahead of you also wants that. And so you do have a little bit of regret that maybe players didn't slide even farther, or maybe you're planning to reach on someone and someone reaches even a little bit more. You can get in these dynamics where maybe you're battling the person next to you, even to fill out some of the game stacks. And that can be something that is tricky as you work through this draft fell almost perfectly. And so if the team isn't good, we don't have any excuses from that perspective. Maybe the only area that does seem kind of provocative or controversial would be the Friar Muth pick. Now, it was a great pick. It fit exactly what we wanted to do. And having information now that we didn't have when we drafted, would you prefer Friar Muth and Pierre Strong? Or would you prefer james cook and michael mayer someone who yeah it's a rookie tight end and the rookie tight ends in terms of laporta and kincaid are probably overvalued even though they're very exciting players and if they hit you know like some of the you know, names you have to kind of cherry pick out because again rookie tight ends haven't done much if they hit like that everybody's going to feel like yeah we could see this coming these guys were elite athletes. They had a role in the offense. They were good picks because once you get in the double-digit rounds, when I mean, you're talking about tight ends, the, the ceiling isn't there anyway. Mayor, someone who a very similar prospect, even though the athleticism is the one thing that's really different. It's interesting to see the guy who probably was the better college player, but not as athletic, falling to this point. When you look at those kind of two players next to each other, those two opportunities, do you have a preference for the one we went with, or do you have a preference for the Cook and Mayor? And again, you don't know that you're going to be able to get Mayor in the last round, but he does go in that range very frequently. I I have not been taking a lot of Mayor. Um, totally see the the argument for him. I just think the Raiders might be pretty bad. I haven't been taking a lot of Raiders at all. I just don't you know love the, the situation there. And so to answer your question, I mean it, it comes down to. A little bit down to Pierre Strong versus Mayer, where for me, Strong has been more of a late-round target than Mayer. And, and, and in part, I haven't taken Mayer because in pa- in the past, I've wanted to build into the rookie upside tight end profiles late because there haven't been a lot of options. But when you talk about Kasiki and Hunter Henry sitting there and even Dawson Knox sitting there, there is some vet- – Tyler Conklin I've taken a little bit. There are some veterans in the last few rounds at tight end that I think are very viable picks in the last few rounds, like just not hard to take. Taking some Trey McBride as another youngster, I would totally have been fine taking Mayor and being been open to it. Uh, but he hasn't been a major target for me. Strong has been an interesting running back profile for me. And then again, I, I talked a lot favorably about Frymouth, and you said that for this question, knowing how it turned out. I mean, obviously we ended up taking Pickett and getting a value on him, and we weren't able to get uh, Mac. And so I'm not necessarily quite as concerned about the New England uh buffalo game you know having a bring back on that i would i would still sit 
with Fryermuth. I like that pick a lot. I, I really like his profile in the 10th round. I think he's a really clear tight end target. We need to do a few more of these drafts with Pat so we can get uh, someone to talk us down off of our Steelers enthusiasm because we're going to be <laughs> very Pittsburgh too, heavy. There are just heavy. so many ways in which that can work out in a positive, but you know, anytime you have a quarterback who may not be very good, you've got a lot of risk. Ben, this was so much fun. I mean, we're an hour and 45 minutes in now as we kind of work through it. I'm looking forward to doing some more of these with you as the summer moves along. Yeah, it's going to be an absolute blast. So that'll bring us to the end of Stealing Bananas today. It's a special underdog best ball mania for draft. As Ben mentioned at the top, we're looking to win the $3 million, maybe win that half a million dollars for the best regular season team. We'll see if our two QBs put up enough points to drag the team along to that type of finish for ben gretch i am sean siegel but make sure you're over there subscribing at stealing signals subscribing at stealing lines i know you're listening to ben on ship chasing and all of those awesome shows that they're doing it's just so cool to be part of that environment you can follow me with pete on wednesday mornings at the best ball breakfast column and i have a bunch of ffpc shows that are now out if you're wanting to draft in that format and then it's always so much fun to do those we're going to have a few more of those as well but the super flex element absolutely crazy so join us at ot join us at rotoviz you can use the coupon code rv radio 2023 at checkout to get 10 percent off your one year subscription again we thank you guys this is so much fun we love you we'll talk to you soon It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com